0: Hello all, and welcome to the first real episode of Introduction to Sociology COVID-19 Edition. Since this is the first real episode, we won't be starting with any of your questions, but we will next time. I am Matt King, adjunct faculty at MCC in Phoenix, Arizona, and I am joined by my colleague, best friend, and adjunct faculty at a university in Spokane, Washington, Horizon.
1: Hi, everyone. I am super excited to be here with Matt today. Um, drop in our first episode. Today we will be talking about stratification, class, and inequality. Um, So really today is all about those things. We're going to talk about what strat is, which we'll often say strat opposed to stratification because we all know that's a long word. Uh, Class, poverty, social mobility, and tastes. So that's just a little bit of what our outline is going to look like today. Uh, And uh, without further ado, why don't we go on ahead and get started?
0: Awesome. First, we need to really understand what a social class is. Uh, we see social class as a mixture of multiple different things, wealth, income, education, and occupation. It's a lot of words. Most of them are meaningless. Let's focus <laughs> on wealth and income. Wealth and income are often used interchangeably, but they're really not. Wealth is both money that you have on hand and any assets that you have as well. So these can include housing, or if you own your own house, if you own your own car, that's a source of wealth. And income, on the other hand, that's just the wage that you bring in every week, every two weeks, however that works. And Also, another part of your social class is what occupation you have. Every job you can possibly think of has a different level of prestige. When we think doctors, we think of these as high prestige uh, jobs, right? These are the people who are super important. They're the ones who get paid a lot. Those are the ones we really need for society to keep going. But then we also have teachers and mechanics. These are more of the middle middle-of-the-road prestige, yeah, they're necessary, but they're not getting that same level of prestige that maybe a lawyer or doctor has. And then we also have custodians or uh, burger flippers or retail associates. These all have low level of prestige, and we can also see that in their pay as well. They tend to get paid a lot less than, say, lawyers or teachers. But I, I do have this question for you, Horizon. Do you think we'll see uh, these low prestige jobs uh, still so low after this virus that is so rampant?
1: Hmm, that's a good question. I anticipate that they their prestige won't change. Um, they are, you know, I think there's a chance that this might uh, increase some of the wages that we offer. Um, but I don't think that the actual a uh, status or prestige of said job is going to increase as a result. I think people for a while are going to express their gratitude, realizing that, oh yeah, people who, you know, the reason why we could still get groceries was because we had people stocking shelves at stores. And the reason we could still do takeout was because of drive through windows, et cetera, et cetera. But um, I think it will be temporary. I'm not sure that it's going to last long enough, the wave in which we ride for this, um, I don't know that it will last long enough for us to, um, as a society, that is, to change our view and our perspective of these roles.
0: Very well. Uh, You did bring up something really interesting there, that uh, class and status are different. Do you want to talk a little bit more about how they're different and what uh, Max Weber said, how they're different?
1: Um, yeah. So a little bit about uh, class and status, which I think even so we'll get into um, a little bit later. But so um, Weber talks about class and status Um recognizing that there is this level of positionality that takes place. So in stratification, it wasn't based on economics alone, right? So Weber's position on stratification is that it's not just economics, but that we have to recognize status, right? And so uh, this approach primarily is like a multi-dimensional approach. Uh, and so for those um, who are attracted to said approach, it is believed that uh, social prestige, right? So the that value of a job, um, the things that, right, like people don't think a garbage man holds is a job worth that is highly prestigious, correct? As you say, Matt, when we look at um, lawyers and doctors and dentists and um, other jobs in, in that realm, those are things that we call prestigious, or when you hold a doctorate versus just an undergrad degree, et cetera, et cetera. But so all of that to say, um, this, this idea of class and status um, existing kind of together, it really plays a role in, in the argument that social prestige and power can be independent of economics. And, and that is a question that hopefully um, we'll be able to answer here um, shortly. But yeah, so I mean, we can, I think we are, our, our plan here next is to kind of go into that difference in understanding of class and status, right?
0: Absolutely, and we think of uh, classes in three major ways, the upper class, the middle class, and the lower class. So first, let's start by talking about what the upper class is. The upper class is really the richest Americans, the ones who have the most amount of money, the ones who have the most amount of wealth, here in the US. About 5% of all American households are in this upper class. They're not the super rich by any means. The super rich, they combined have just so much money that you couldn't imagine. The richest 400 Americans actually have $1.7 trillion between them. That is a massive amount of money.
1: Yeah, not spread, not distributed amongst very many people, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's in such a small, condensed population that doesn't ever see really the other, you know, 330 million people in the US. But let's really talk about the 1%. I don't know if you all follow Bernie Sanders like I do, but he talks a lot about this 1% and how they actually own 30% of all wealth in the United States. 1% of our population holds 30% of all wealth uh, in the United States. And just the top 20% own 89%, which means the other 80% of us only own 11% of all the wealth in the United States. That wow. is just a mind blowing number to me,
1: yeah. uh,
0: especially when it comes to the middle class.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so let's talk about that that middle class a little bit. So the United States really understands itself to be a middle class society. Uh, the majority of our, our, our population kind of exists um, in this space. Oftentimes, this fits strongly with uh, held ideologies. That include this idea of classless classlessness, uh, meritocracy, um, and and work ethic, right? So what so what we see here is that um, this middle class society is is often uh, we see it operating in merit and also in work ethic. So how hard you are working for um, for what you're doing in life, in your jobs, in your personal um, private and public status and spaces that you kind of navigate through. Um, so these middle class ideologies really promote reproduction of inequality, and we also see the shrinking middle class as well. So the bottom is getting larger, and there's more inequality between upper middle class um, and middle class. And uh, so we really are starting to see this this gap, this yeah, this gap widening into the view of our middle-class society
0: yeah absolutely the amount of inequality between like I was talking about that top 20 percent and really everybody else is just massive and it's continuing to grow the rich are getting richer and us poor people are getting even more poor um Mm. I I personally feel this uh (laughs) that's yeah Uh, But let's talk about kind of the poor and the lower middle class. Lower middle class, they tend to be safe in their position. Um, Not extremely safe. If they were to lose their job, they would tend to fall into poverty with no questions asked. And if they were to even get sick in a lot of uh, places across the country that don't have very good... uh, medical care they could easily fall into the into poverty or even a lot of us tend to be part of this uh working class or these are the people who are working paycheck to paycheck and really needing every paycheck in order to just survive i know at least over these past couple weeks it's been for me just how long is it till my next paycheck you know yeah i need to i may not have a family but i need to feed myself at least right and so it's living that paycheck to paycheck and it's really difficult uh and even i may be part of the working class but there are a lot of people who are doing worse than i am worse than we are the lower class and the underclass these are just other portions of our lower class life and we see uh these are the people who, even if they are working paycheck to paycheck, they still can't make ends meet. Um,
1: We often see um, people in in this class status really um, needing, you know, opportunities to have access to state health care and other state services, such as Um, like WIC and uh, food stamps, et cetera. So even if they're working a full 40 hours a week or overtime, that income isn't enough for them to survive without additional services.
0: Absolutely. And if they're not able to live like this, uh, it's very easy just to fall into poverty. Horizon, do you want to talk a little bit about poverty and our different types
1: yeah, absolutely. So there are um, really a couple of types of poverty that we are looking at. Um, primarily, I think we all kind of have this idea, and oftentimes an accurate idea or picture of what poverty is. Um, but really, I think there are two main ways that we can discuss poverty. Um, this first one being absolute poverty, meaning a person literally cannot feed themselves in a reasonable way. Um, and we can get into what does it mean to be to like feed themselves in a reasonable way. Um, but honestly, like this is access to, to vegetables, access to um, milk and peanut butter and staples. Whereas um, what we often see is uh, easily like heavily processed foods um, that, and that is their access, right? It isn't reasonable for someone to live on ramen noodles alone. Um, it's not reasonable, it's not healthy either. Um. So that absolute poverty, again, being a person literally who is not able to feed themselves yeah. in a reasonable way. And then we have something that we call relative poverty. It is a measure relative to a decent standard of living in a given society. Uh, and, and so I think similarly, this is what we find as like what society deems to be acceptable. Right. So. Um, I don't know I'm sure we all have opportunities or have experiences where we've gone into a grocery store um, we put stuff in our cart and that's one thing and then you might look over to your neighbor and you see what's in their cart and you know so you you start to measure that uh, your standard of living versus another like if you see someone with only um, microwave dinners in their freezer or in their cart right like okay maybe and then you have vegetables and produce and uh, chicken and whole beans, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Um. So I think this is really that relative poverty um, comparison against someone else's experience. So, a couple of explanations of this might be uh, that we see um, we have victim blaming, uh, a culture of poverty arguments, really. Um. And this victim blaming is they're choosing this life, right? This is a choice they're making the decisions to spend their money poorly, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and more often than not, like that's not the case, um, again, as we were talking a little bit earlier about um, just actually not having the ability, not having the resources, and it goes back into that, that working class and the working poor as well, um, and not having those resources. And, uh, and then another explanation also comes from blaming the system, um, social exclusion, Uh, structural arguments, right? So uh, if we didn't have to pay for, like if my company paid for health insurance, I would have an extra 300 bucks a month to help support some of my other needs, etc. So those are really those two main explanations for these types of poverty. Again, that being victim blaming uh, and then blaming the system. So blaming the person or blaming the structure. Uh, And then Another uh, thing that we are going to talk about here for just a little bit um, is the feminization of poverty, right? So this expectation that women and reality that women are more likely to be poor, um, there are structural causes, right? So women we know typically make less than men, even if we hold the same degree, even if we have the same skill set, certifications for a job, um, because... Of a woman being a woman, she's more likely to make less. Uh, there's these expectations of motherhood. So we see this in moms are supposed to stay home, um, women are more motherly, they should be cooking, cleaning, etc. in their homes. Um, not being able to work. And I think this again ties into the expectations of motherhood and making less. And oftentimes uh, what we see here is that even if a woman wants to work uh, and they have, let's say we have a mom, a dad, and two kids, if this mom wants to work, um, it is often, you know, families often get stuck in this space of, okay, if the woman works, then guess what? We're paying for daycare. And then oftentimes it's not worth it. So they're not allowed to work. It is, they're not that income that they would otherwise be bringing in is not going to daycare basically negating the purpose of them um, being able to work unless there's other like personal internalized purposes for working uh, that don't necessarily include looking to to um, support the family. Uh, and and uh, finally, women are often seen um, and are often more likely to get passed up for promotions. Um, again, so even if we are looking at, you know, Matt and I, um, virtually, like we're doing the same job. We're doing it in different spaces. We may, um, the income for us to to be adjunct faculty in our positions um, might look a little differently based on where we're working. Um, but if Matt and I are at the same school, there's a high probability that even though we hold the same degree, even though if they look at our resumes and our CVs that Matt and I have the same grades, we're both students who hold a 3.8, uh, GPA and grad school, we've both had an equal amount of research opportunities, presenting opportunities, et cetera. If you look at both of us, what you might see is that they're going to pick Matt over me uh, just because I'm a woman. Uh, and, and that is just a common reality um, for, for women in general. So yeah, I think um, that really encompasses this idea and the structure of pro- poverty that uh, we're looking at
0: absolutely and uh there's just so much when it comes to the feminization of poverty we're gonna talk about this in probably next week but this isn't just a u.s thing this actually happens all across the world and
1: right
0: um women just are they're not less people but they are often treated as less than and all of these structural causes Uh, just keep women from making money and being able to survive
1: yeah Um, definitely
0: yeah but let's talk about something maybe a little brighter (laughs) uh social mobility
1: is it brighter
0: uh, we can hope at least um (laughs) i have very strong feelings about this but we're going to talk a little bit about what just what social mobility is uh there's multiple different types. It depends on doing better than your family, doing worse than your family. There's so many different causes. But what really social mobility is, is the movement of people up or down on the stratification system. Uh, We do see now we and our generations are more likely to be worse off than our parents are. Uh, and this mm-hmm. is one of the first times in American history where we're not going to be better off than our parents. And that's something I uh, definitely have to think about. Don't recommend focusing on it, but doing <laughs> everything you can to be better off than your parents are. And one thing is not everywhere is this class system that we are here in the U.S. Not everywhere allows for the movement of people right? We have the class system here in the U.S. where there is ideological change or ideological movement up and down. Whether or not that's the case, that's up for debate. But there's places called caste systems uh, that just no movement, up or down, really. It's you're born into a caste, and that's where you're going to live. Uh, your parents Whatever uh, caste they're in, you're more likely to live in there as well. But caste systems, they're really uh, closed stratification systems. Mm -hmm. People do little or nothing to actually change that system. And even the job or and the marriages you may have, they're based on that caste. India has been held up as this prime example of a caste system. Uh, I do believe it is starting to change, but I still do think there, even for the lowest of low there, that there's this massive divide between the bottom caste and the rest of society. But what are these what are the mechanisms of social mobility there horizon?
1: Yeah, so there are um, a couple specific mechanisms that we want to address with you all. Um, so the social reproduction, which refers to the process where parents pass down to their children a range of resources. And um, that is what your parents have. You also end up with access to. Uh, and then we have something we call cultural capital, which refers to cultural advantages that come um, from a Uh, a good home, quote-unquote. So those specifically, right, we we see, I mean, all of you, like, take a second and kind of identify where you are. Um, Currently, I know for most of our students, we're looking at about 17, um, and maybe we have a few students on, you know, college age 17 to 22. Um, I know I have a few students who, who kind of go beyond that, that particular age range, but take a second uh, and just think about where your social mobility lies. Um, do you have access to things um, because they've been passed down to you from your parents, um, or is there cultural capital for you in your social mobility? Uh, again, the cultural advantages that come from um, living in a good home, and these are the main two, and maybe you don't feel like you have access to either. Maybe you can't identify with either one of these mechanisms. Um, but take a second and and think about that. And um, you know, if you if you come to a place where you have questions, uh, perhaps about what this looks like, please reach out. Um, we hope that this that we can continue dialogue surrounding these things. So um, yeah, and even like as I as I think about it, I'm having a hard time identifying for myself like where where I would lie I don't know that I necessarily can claim either one of these mechanisms of social mobility for myself. What about you Matt?
0: Uh that's a really good question. I mean, I don't really see it either in a lot of ways. Yeah, I don't see it either.
1: Sure. Yeah. You know, and I I can I can maybe pull and stretch a little bit. Um I have most recently come from a decent home where uh, a lot of things were encouraged um, in my family about what I can do um, and my like can being my ability you know oftentimes our parents encourage us in in things that are like you can be whatever you want to be you can do whatever you want to do um, determination and hard work which I'm sure we'll talk about um, those things later on in the rest of the semester but um, maybe I can take on cultural capital um, for myself, but also knowing that um, my parents probably exist more so in uh, middle class, right, where they work really hard. But we have a lot of I have a lot of siblings. And so um, their resources are often depleted, too, in in their work that they do. So just keep those things in mind and let's keep having a conversation about it. Um, so, Matt, there's just a little bit more here. Um that we want to address with them. So do you want to talk about tastes a little bit?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we haven't really talked about it, but it's this idea that parents really have an influence in who we are as people. I know we talked about it a bit in socialization, or hopefully a lot in socialization, but part of that is yeah. tastes. Uh, and our place in society, heavily influences our tastes in food tastes in music and tastes even in clothing
1: yeah. uh, so taste being t-a-s-t-e-s yeah. Matt and I were talking about this um, before we started this episode and for the life of me I thought he was saying paste and it's like I don't know about glue, Matt like I need <laughs> you it doesn't make sense so if you guys are as clueless as I was um, tastes as in like your taste buds um, you know preferences right our preferences for food for music for clothing
0: absolutely and uh, I bring up this example in my class uh, I wasn't raised uh, to eat things like caviar for me that just sounds disgusting right mm-hmm. so that's one yeah, example of like how I was raised that's shows my preferences mm. in food uh sure same thing with music if we think about what we listen to pop music is really a middle class music right hmm. whereas yeah. if we talk about um i don't know uh classical music that's still that tends to be closer to upper middle class and uh mm. even the higher class Right. And same thing with like maybe rap being at the lower end of the spectrum. Uh, And when it comes to clothing, what we wear and some people say who we wear uh, says Mm -hmm. a lot about our social status. And one thing that I find super interesting about all of this is that we as Americans have this because of our preferences we try to reach one step above maybe our actual uh, place in society, right? Mm -hmm. We all want whatever's a little bit higher, just a little bit out of our uh, real price range, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: And so this is the idea of conspicuous consumption and where we're just trying to buy more and more expensive items than we can actually afford and we end up Mm -hmm. going into debt we end up uh, maxing out our credit cards, just trying to get, you know, uh, to appear like something maybe we're not actually. And then I, I do wanna end with just a, uh, a joke for you. I told you I was going to uh, tell some jokes. And so this, this father was talking to his daughter about school one day and he asked, are you having problems with any classes? The daughter responds, only the bourgeoisie. (laughs) Marx and capitalism. If you guys don't know what
1: that (laughs) Yeah, Uh, If you guys are unfamiliar with the bourgeoisie, feel free to refer back to your textbook. I know all of our textbooks talk about this. Um, that is awesome Um, and with that I you know I do want to just give a brief overview um, of what we talked about and hopefully if you've missed some stuff and taking notes hopefully this will kind of um, draw you back right so we discuss wealth as money and assets our income is our wage um, our occupation so these different levels of prestige whether you're in um, a doctor or in law, if you're a teacher, if you are the garbage man, uh, whatever those look like. And um, really this difference of class and status. Um, so where we are uh, in terms of um, what we are bringing in versus that status of um, being a PhD or um, being a lawyer, etc., etc. So we talked with you guys a little bit about um, upper class, middle class, lower class, and kind of where uh, we all fall on that spectrum. And um, we talked a little bit about poverty, absolute poverty, uh, meaning that we cannot feed ourselves in a reasonable way, and then relative poverty based on the standard of a given society. And there are a couple of explanations to this, victim blaming and blaming the system, Uh, and then the feminization of poverty basically discussing that women are more likely to be poor and the structural causes behind this being that women are often making less the expectations of motherhood, um, not being allowed to work uh, for various reasons, and then missing promotion opportunities and not missing out on them because of them, but getting passed up for promotions. Uh, And then Matt kind of led us into Uh, social mobility and what this looks like and the mechanisms of social mobility as well. Um, And so think about really uh, those preferences, those tastes, as Matt discussed, um, that you recognize as influence um, on your food, your music and clothing. Um, Matt doesn't actually like caviar. He won't eat sushi with me, you guys. I love sushi. We spent our whole gradhood dancing around sushi he'd come every once in a while but you know he was eating a burger in a sushi restaurant
0: hey i um, have never I eaten a burger at a sushi restaurant thank you very much i
1: don't think that's that's not true i've never that's done it karma i just don't all the eat. time
0: i'll just sit there and drink with you
1: yeah but I But you me. know i don't know that, that this is a true replication of the story but it's fine i'll let you get away with it Um, And so music, right? So for myself, I know that I have a really diverse desire in music, um, whether that's classical or jazz. I love blues. I like old school hip hop, R&B and rap, um, but not the stuff today that we often see um, people listening to. Um, And clothing. I think um, Matt makes such a good point about this conspicuous consumption, right? We want Um, to be viewed as a little more Uh, and and his point so prominently stands out of like not exactly what we wear but who we wear this idea that labels that we take so much um, value in the labels that we can say oh yeah those new Jordans I don't know I'm not very fashionable it's fine (laughs) Um,
0: Horizon is one of the most fashionable people I know I love (laughs) the different colored jeans. I don't know if you've shown those (laughs) off, but those Mm. are phenomenal.
1: Yeah. They're my teaching pants. My students know I, I try to, uh, to teach in different colors. That's true. Um, you know, so again, our, our hope now is that, um, you guys will come to us with questions. Um, Matt, hopefully you have laid out the specifications of your expectations for students to bring questions to you. And, um, My students will also have that information and we will uh, ahead of time kind of answer those questions at our next time. Um, But in the meantime, we are done here. So stay healthy, drink good coffee and enjoy a nice walk.